Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and we're not going to have a bit at the start. Uh, We're going to start actually a little bit serious. So about an hour prior to us starting recording the episode, I found out through the LegendsCon Twitter, uh, if you remember our Ferris O'Lynn episode, one of our guests, Catherine, who's the LegendsCon Executive Director, uh, she was in a near-fatal car accident. Uh, It was a head-on collision. Uh, She's got a long road to recovery ahead of her. A GoFundMe has been set up for her. Uh, she's been a longtime Star Wars fan, longtime queer advocate. She's one of the founders of Pride Squadron. So we are going to include that GoFundMe in the show notes for the next couple of episodes. Uh, and if you are financially able to, please go and donate to that GoFundMe. She's going to have a rough road ahead of her uh, and she could use any support that you could possibly give or just boost uh, the Twitter post, Instagram post, the GoFundMe, uh, anything that would help her out. So we have to start on that very serious note. We want to do everything possible for her. Now that the serious note is past, Bradley, how are you feeling? You feeling good? You feeling tired? Are you guys? <laughs> no. You guys aren't aren't wrapped as of the 18th when we're recording this. You're you're not quite wrapped yet. I think. No, I still got another week and a half ish left. I mean, finale's next week, but we've got wrap out for another week after that. So. And for context, uh, Bradley works in reality TV. So he is not on strike currently. His shows are still going because they're under a different contract. Well, hopefully that's over soon because, well, Bradley, we just have this whole plethora, this world of Star Wars comics and books and possibly even video games or other pieces of media that are not the visual media that we could potentially deal with. It's just too many Star Wars things. There's too many Star Wars things for us to do. There's so much Star Wars. Don't even get me started. I will get you into Legends at some point. It may take me the next five years. (laughs) But I'm going to try. We've been doing this podcast for nearly three years now, and I have no intention of stopping anytime soon. There you go. It's become too much of a core part of my identity because I have a sad, sad life. (laughs) Well, Bradley, I don't think we have anything necessarily to talk about. We're going to be slow on news for a while, I think. I think not a lot's going to be happening. Yeah, I, I guess until after the strikes are over, they really don't plan on doing anything. Well, they really. also, they have to stretch things out. Right, so they're going like, to have to hold stuff, too. Yeah, one of the movies got quietly pushed six months. Everybody forgot about that, but I didn't forget about that. At least two of the shows have been pushed back to when they were originally. It's going to be slowed down. I was seeing a list, and there were a couple that are still slated to come out next year. Can't say which ones because I don't want to cross into promotion, but, like, yeah, it's going to start slowing down for a little bit, uh, which is good for me because that means we actually have time to go back and do stuff. We're not rushing from one show to the other. I'm curious, though. I I will be curious to know, like, see which ones actually make the cut next year and which ones they get rid of because, like, they just ran out of time because they pushed everything so much. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I... I I suspect they were planning to kind of dial back on TV anyway, was the sense I got. Because they threw a lot at TV, but I I think not quite as much as as Marvel did. And I think the benefit of Star Wars was they never tried to advertise it necessarily as you have to watch everything. Right. But I do feel like with movies starting to come out again soon, they may dial back on that TV a little bit. Or they may use it for like weird little things that aren't like the mainline stuff. We'll see. We'll see. I can't talk too much about that because there's still a strike going on. And we support the union that's on strike currently. 
and the AMPTP should get back to the negotiating table fucking immediately. Bradley, do you remember our Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade episode? I sure do. So I listened to that episode this morning because I just recorded another podcast on Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade. Oh. So I listened to our episode again so that I remember what my thoughts were so I said something else. Gotcha. So I didn't just repeat the same thing. That episode was recorded right after the AMPTP walked away from negotiations with the WGA. Oh, wow. Do you remember that? In like August? And as of this recording, the AMPTP has just walked away from negotiations with SAG-AFTRA. Hmm, interesting. With the same, same fucking deal, too. So everything I said in the stinger of that episode about how the AMPTP are a bunch of feckless, inept cowards and that they need to get the fuck back to the negotiating table, the useless bags of shit or whatever it was I said on that episode, all that still applies. It I'm was timely that I listened to that again. I like it. Mm -hmm. It's, you see, it's like poetry, Bradley. It rhymes. Uh, all of Star Wars rhymes, so why should <laughs> all life, of Star I guess? <laughs> life is just a series of constantly repeating patterns over and over again into oblivion, into the void, uh, until one day, eventually, the last black hole will fade away with the last tiny little bit of hawking radiation, and the universe will be cold, dead, and empty. None of our failures or triumphs will matter or even be remembered by the cold, unfeeling, uncaring void. You know, I don't know if you meant to do a segue, <laughs> but the sheer fact that you, what your segue was talking about is the absence of light is or light dying i just feel like that is like something that is semi so I, I was actually going to try to segue into <laughs> okay. Darth Vader 2017 you did kind of beat me to it a little bit uh yes if you are just joining us because of the ongoing sag after strike and the request from the union to not do any rewatch episodes or do any promotion uh even though we kind of fall under review we've elected to err on the side of being in support of the union uh so we are not doing current visual media content and we are not doing rewatch visual media content instead we have been doing books and comics and we have been on a journey through star wars darth vader 2017 by charles soul and today we will be covering issues number seven through ten dying light before we do that though uh i do have a note from our friend Hope Mullinax over on J Guys and Jedi, who contacted me after listening to our last episode because she did have the answer to a question we had. If, you, if you're joining us now, for some reason, last episode there was some speculation on since the fact that all these comics are made digitally, why do they have an inker? And I, spe I speculated, well, it's probably the same thing, just digital. Someone pencils and then someone it comes along and inks it, and sure. then the colorist comes in and colors in the inked. And uh, this is directly from Hope, uh, our friend over at J Guys and Jedi. And she says, just FYI, you are correct in your Vader episode about inkers. It is hand-drawn digitally, but most of the time the artist will send the final sketches to the inker to do the next step because it allows the process to go faster. The artist doesn't have to ink and can work on the next panels while the inker does the work of a traditional comic book inker. Now it's all digital instead of paper, but it's the same process. Very few artists are paper anymore with the exceptions of people like Alex Ross, who just makes watercolor masterpieces. Though most comic friends I know can do the entire process from sketch to ink to final product, it's taught to them in most sequential art schools. That's 
that's why sometimes you won't see inkers noted on smaller indie titles or artists will do it themselves and get credit for both art and inking. Thank you, Hope. Uh, my best friend uh, actually is a sequential artist who did that major in college and I don't know why I didn't know that information, but there we go. All right, so this week we are doing The Dying Light. A surviving Jedi undertakes a deadly mission and Vader decides what sort of Sith he wants to be. Bradley, you want some additional information about who worked on this issue? Well, sure. this art written by Charles Soule, as is everything, penciled by Giuseppe Camincoli. I'm going to constantly butcher this name. I am so sorry. Giuseppe Camincoli, I think is how you pronounce this name. It was inked by Danielle Orlandini. The letterer was Joe Caramagna again, and the colorist was David Curiel. Bradley, what was one thing you liked and one thing you disliked about The Dying Light? One thing I liked about The Dying Light was the return, I guess you could say, of Jocasta New into media of some kind. I liked that she was in this story uh, as someone I actually knew who it was already. So unlike the last arc where I didn't know who the new Jedi character was, this time I did. So I didn't have to do the whole you know, uh, learning a new person and all that kind of extra stuff that I just automatically knew who she was. I didn't have to think about it. The character, I knew what kind of person she was, everything about her. So that was nice. They did the legwork for me, essentially. What I didn't like was that she fucking dies. Um, <laughs> because I literally did this again, where I said, huh, wouldn't it be interesting if Jacosta knew was the person who saved Grogu in the Mandalorian? And you were like, yeah, I guess that would be interesting. And then I was like, well, she's dead. So that technically, fucking... technically she could have done it. Like this is after Order 66. That's but true. Like, yeah, I've, I've been sitting on the knowledge that she fucking dies yeah. for a while. And it's just never, <laughs> there's a whole plethora of like Star Wars information that I know that I've just never had a good chance to bring up with Bradley. So I don't think he actually knows it. I don't because I clearly, I don't know when people die because I haven't seen, and I haven't consumed every single piece of media, unlike some nerds. And so therefore, I, I haven't even know. consumed every piece of media. <laughs> I, I there's still things them. that I'm missing. Yeah. Like, I haven't read any of the IDW stuff except for the High Republic Adventures. So I haven't read any of Hyperspace Adventures. I haven't read any of Star Wars Adventures. There's at least two books that I haven't read. There's a couple of the junior novels, I think, that I haven't read. And there's some other, like, the whole Rebels comic I haven't read. There's plenty I haven't read. I know what happens in them, but there's plenty I haven't read. So well, trust me. I don't, I don't like not having knowledge uh, like the Grand Inquisitor. Uh, I feel like the Grand Inquisitor because I am being kept oh, from we'll all get to this him. knowledge. <laughs> we'll get kept. to him. What about you? So one thing that I really liked, I liked the implementation of Jocasta New in this as a contrast to the Jedi we had last time. The Jedi we had had last time was all about conflict. He was just there to be a guy that Vader fights. And they make a point multiple times in this of saying Jocasta New is kind of a subpar combatant. She's not that good at it. Her strengths lie elsewhere and her danger lies elsewhere. And while yes, there's a big like fight that takes up three of the issues, two of the issues, three of the issues, however many it takes up. She's fighting much differently because she's having to fight strategically and, and defensively to an extent to try to escape towards the end. So I really liked her implementation as this character who is trying to outsmart Vader and the Grand Inquisitor. One thing I did not like 
This is going to be a hard one because I, I loved most of this ish, this this arc. I would say if I had to pick one thing that I I disliked, the the final panels were very hopeful and I'm going to talk about how much I like them. I I really think they maybe should have gone later or like at the end of the entire series or somewhere else. Cause it's a little weird that Luke randomly pops in and then we're back to the normal Vader stuff for the next issue. It, it, it was just a little weird to me. That's like a super nitpick. It's one of those cases where I have to super fucking nitpick something. Also, a lot of the a lot of the characterization was very blink and you miss it. Like they had something really interesting set up we'll get to with the concept of unreliable narrators and how different people can have different perspectives on a situation that was blown past very quickly. And I felt like maybe a little more time with the Grand Inquisitor and Jocasta New just to really dig into this sort of differing angles on the situation. But for the most part, I fucking loved these issues. Incredible stuff. Mind-blowingly good stuff. Alrighty, let's get into it. Issue number seven. Vader is standing over the sixth brother who is holding his smoking fucking crevice where his arm used to be. <laughs> and that's how we open. Yeah, Vader's just fucking torturing the Inquisitors. Just fucking mutilating the shit out of them to try to train them. And the Grand Inquisitor's like, hey, so I know that you, Palpatine said that like we're supposed to hunt Jedi, maybe we should keep all of our limbs. And Vader's like, maybe we should shut the fuck up and let me do what I want. And the Grand Inquisitor's like, oh, okay. So they go to look at this list of Jedi and they're like, hmm, Palpatine has highlighted Jocasta's news name for some reason. Uh, so Vader goes to talk to Palpatine. And Palpatine's like, yeah, you need to, to capture her and capture her alive. Make up sure she's alive. I cannot stress this enough, Vader. Make sure she's alive. And Vader's like, yeah, okay, sure, buddy. Uh, I will absolutely do that. Cut to Jocasta New in a cave. And she's like, I have been recording things for my hologram holocron things to make my school but there's one more thing that i need to make my school and then she flies away and i can't remember if she lands on coruscant of this issue or the next one yeah so vader just sort of fucking tortures the inquisitors let's I, not move I, past that very i quick. mean i love that he, <laughs> i love the next i think it's like one of the next panels after he's like there it's like you see all the other inquisitors like either like laying on a stretcher or like holding their limbs and like it's like vader like, I get it. You're traumatized because you have, like, had half of your limbs cut off. However, I don't see the practicality of teaching loss to somebody by cutting off their hand or cutting off their arm. Or I think in the Ninth Sister's case, he slashed her stomach or something like that. And I was like, what the fuck is the purpose other than to be like, yeah, I'm just mutilating all these people. <laughs> well, he, he tries to make a point of it and be like, oh, it's because uh, they will they will know true loss. Uh, they could feel it. It's like, oh, I'm sad about Padme or whatever. All right. It's, no, you just suck. Like yeah. it's the warped, it's the warped training style of the dark side. Uh, it corrupts everything it touches. And I also think it's interesting thinking about this as like what Joe Costa knew wants to do, where she's setting up her school, and we also see the way that Vader's doing his training. I think it's really interesting to start start the arc out this way, even though we're only going to see one of these Inquisitors the rest of the time. It's the one Vader's not torturing. 
So let's talk about this list. So they go into the office and they're pitching at each other and Vader pulls up this list and it's got some names on it. But there's one name in particular that's very interesting because of when this comic came out. Uh, so some names on this list include someone named Case Baradin, Yoda, Kirak Infilla, who we saw last arc, right? New, Ahsoka Tano, and interesting enough, Quinlan Voss. Yes, this was our first indication Quinlan Voss actually survived Order 66. Okay. This predates the Obi-Wan Kenobi show by like four years. Oh. Yes. Uh, I have no idea who Case Baradun is. Let me uh, see really quickly if I... Nobody knows who this is. They're just a person that was there. Uh, according to what I can find, uh, anything that was not a name that we know was simply uh, meant to Easter be egg Easter egg and right. not anything that actually means anything. It's somebody's so. brother or sister combination yeah. of the two or something. Yeah. Something something again there for somebody. Doesn't really matter. That's what's going on with that target list. In case you were interested in who's actually on it, it's people like Yoda, Ahsoka Tano, Jocasta New, and Quinlan Voss. I like that. Which rules. And then motherfucking Jocasta News here. So if people don't remember somehow, Jocasta New was the chief archivist for the Jedi. And she was the person who tells Obi-Wan in Attack of the Clones that if a planet is missing from the archives, it is because that planet does not exist. It's that lady. She's in like that one scene. That's it. That's it. Uh, but she gets a prominent role here, which is kind of cool to see. Also, very neat that... She must have been in the temple during Order 66. She's clearly alive. Yeah, now that you Because she died that. in Legends. Like, she was in the temple and Vader killed her. And here she's clearly managed to get out of the temple. Right. Yeah, how did she do that? That is an excellent <laughs> question to because, which yeah, I Because, yeah, she would have just been in the library. The answer. She would have just been chilling in there anyway. And then when it happened, and so... Huh. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we know. Yeah, Wikipedia just says survive the destruction of the Jedi. Uh, that's it. That's all we get. Okay. New survive the destruction of the Jedi. That's okay. all we know. She managed to get out of the temple somehow. Good for her. Yeah, I mean, clearly it works out for a little bit. Yep, because she teams up with her buddy Gar. Now I looked, We Gar is only in this arc of this comic. We have never seen him anywhere else. Oh, okay. I was confused because I didn't know who he was. Or he, he was feels like somebody we should know. Right. We've never seen him before and we will never see him again. That's unfortunate. I feel like it's a, kind of a waste of a character then because... He's just here and then he's not at the end. He's here and he gets his lovely little moment at the end. But right. yeah, it, it it's I think it speaks to Charles Soule as a writer that he creates these characters with a lot of personality that feel like they have a lot of history, even when they right. actually don't. So maybe later writers can come in and fill that history in later, like certain characters who we will get to in later arcs. That was a tease. I'm okay. teasing your content. I am trying to get people to continue to listen to the show. Oh, okay. See, that's that's my cunning plan here, Bradley. I like it. Okay. So we have a scene where the Grand Inquisitor and Vader are talking, and Grand Inquisitor is like, "Yeah, Jocasta knew was so smug. She never let me in the archives. She was always looking down on me. I think she actually liked telling me that I couldn't go in and read the dark side stuff." Yeah, she just, she hated me so much. Pause. The Grand Inquisitor is a very unreliable narrator here. We all get that, right? 
explain the grand other, other than is, he's just giving an opinion but like he's he's nursing a grudge he's clearly nursing a grudge well because i i get people that are like oh the grand inquisitor just wanted to read books and i'm like yeah that's accurate kind of but his version of the story doesn't conflict like in facts with jocasta's version the Grand Inquisitor's version is super tented by his hatred for this woman that told him he couldn't have access to the back room of the blockbuster because he was 13. Come back when you're 18 and have a government-issued ID and I'll let you in. Right. And he's like, man, that manager was just so loved telling me no. When in reality, the, the manager probably didn't even think about it. Probably which completely we forgot you. Little, little bit later. Which we do find out later was actually <laughs> what happened. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, it might be accurate to say, and here's here's the thing too about the dark side and like giving in to your negative emotions and things like that. It can color the way you talk about people and the way you talk about events because the Grand Inquisitor is being encouraged to tap into all these negative feelings. And so retroactively, he is making it worse than it was, I suspect, is yeah. what's going on here is I'm sure he probably wanted to go in and read the Dark Side books, and I'm sure he was probably very upset when he was told no. She probably did not be mean to him about it. No, like, of course not. This way he's describing of, oh, she, she, I think, just liked lording it over people. If you weren't in her chosen elite, you didn't get access. And I'm like, I don't know if that's accurate. You're ascribing a lot of malice to this woman. Like, yeah, who probably didn't it. even have that much access herself, if you think about it, because, I mean, yeah, she was in charge of... Well, she was the chief archivist, so she had access to everything. Right, but she wasn't. She didn't have access to necessarily read it all. Well, she also had the wisdom not to, was the thing. Right. So she was the chief archivist. She technically could read all of it if she wanted to. She was a master. She could go in and do that. She had the wisdom not to want to do that. And there's a complicated thing where, like, the Jedi, how do I phrase this? There's a complicated thing where the pursuit of knowledge in and of itself is not a bad thing. The problem is that some of the knowledge that exists of the Force can be very tempting and lead you to a dark place. Right. And if you don't have the emotional maturity or the training or any of that to resist that temptation, you could wind up doing a lot of damage to yourself or wind up doing a lot of damage to other people. And part of the job of the chief archivist is to make sure when you have a bunch of like magic space wizards who can blow things up with their mind, that these people are not going in and accessing stuff that they're not emotionally and mentally prepared for. And the Grand Inquisitor may have believed that he deserved access to this knowledge, but clearly she looked at him and went, no, you're not ready for it. And she says later on, not to jump ahead, she's like, I, I denied countless requests that were like this because it's my job. My job is to assess people who want to access these, this knowledge, whether or not they are capable of handling having it. It's interesting to look at the way the Grand Inquisitor is talking about Jocasta right. here. Because I don't think he's lying. I just think he's unreliable in narrating the situation that occurred. It's a very one-sided view yeah. of what's happening. Yeah, and it all goes back to just the dark side corrupting. It's literally corrupting his perception of this situation. And you know Palpatine got in there after reading Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade. You know that's how Palpatine did it. That right. he got in there and was like, oh, well, they're denying it to you because they're elitist. They're, they are denying it to you because they believe that they are the arbiters of this knowledge. And it's like, 
I mean, kind of, but also this is actually legitimately dangerous stuff. Like you, you need you need to know how to do it properly. Right. It's not like oh, I was keeping this from you just because. It's like we li- there's literally proven fact of people who have literally like touched objects and then been like turned like evil or sick or something. Not- because Not to like jump disgusting. ahead, one of the things in the, uh, the the dark side area that we will eventually see is the Mask of Lord Momen. Like, we will get to what that is <laughs> okay. in a minute, but it's stuff like that. Right. It's texts like how to make that, how he did it. Like, the kind of stuff that the Sith were doing, which again, not to jump ahead to uh, a future arc, was some really messed up stuff that they actually were capable of doing with the Force. So, I don't know. I think this scene is interesting. I feel I feel a little bit of sympathy for the Grand Inquisitor, but I also recognize that his perception of it has been extremely warped. Right. And that he also, like, clearly he wanted to think the worst of Jocasta. This comic moves at a mile a minute, and there's so much here. Oh, also, Jocasta New lands on Coruscant and then breaks into the Jedi Temple. That's actually the end of the issue. I just messed that up. It was a thing Charles fucked up in real time. <laughs> there we go, into the issue. She's breaking into the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Yay. Uh, issue number eight, overview. Jocasta New has broken into the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. She is hunting for a list of Force-sensitive children. We will eventually see something very similar to this later on. Meanwhile, uh, her ship is in the hangar and it gets discovered by the Coruscant police and the droid blows it up. And she goes into the temple. She gets the list of the things. Vader sends the Grand Inquisitor to go read books. Uh, Jocasta sees him uh, reading the books and she makes it in and she makes it out. And then she decides to like jump off the thing and confront the Grand Inquisitor. Is that where it ends? Did I get it right this time? You got it right. Okay. Okay. There we Love go. That. We open with Vader force choking a dude. In as this he situation. always loves to do. As he loves to do. Well, I, 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 I had a little process with my notes on this one. Okay. Because my first note was going to bitch about this. Because Force Unleashed did something like this. The opening of the game is Vader lands on Kashyyyk. There's some officer. The officer says something and Vader just starts choking him. Because I guess it's not the news that Vader wanted. Of course. And I've always thought that was dumb. I always thought that the way I read Empire Strikes Back, the way that I read this movie, uh, and also A New Hope to a lesser extent, Vader doesn't, like, choking people isn't his first reaction to any sort of negative news or anything he disagrees with. It's the really bad stuff, like, I brought the fleet out of hyperspace too close to the system, or I lost the Millennium Falcon and I'm going to apologize, or... I'm being a little mean to Vader in a meeting. Like, it's not like everything. That was my first note. Then Palpatine basically says what I'm thinking, which is, hey, buddy, you cannot be doing that. Right. Every single time somebody says something you don't like. What the fuck, man? No, I love how he's like, he's like, listen, Vader, you can't choke everybody because everybody around us is just a fucking moron. They're lesser beings than us. So we literally can't, they can't help it. They're so dumb. Like, don't worry too much. about. Don't read into it too much that everybody fucking sucks because 
they literally are lesser than us. Also, like, dude, if you kill everybody, we we are we're not gonna have an empire to rule over. <laughs> yeah, that, that also. Please don't kill everybody. Please don't I kill everybody people. in the empire. We need them to be an empire. Right. It's kind of boring if it's just us. So I ended up loving that scene quite a great deal more than I than I did when I started reading it because it's Charles Soule taking these concepts and like really playing with them like this is what he does as a writer he he wrote the like one of the big issues of marvel recently uh, i don't know if it was like a, a hundredth issue anniversary or something but he wrote a comic that was all about why the jedi use lightsabers and the whole comic is this exploit is obi-wan and anakin fighting and obi-wan's basically teaching anakin why don't we have like light nunchucks why don't we have like a light battle axe and he explains the rationale behind the lightsaber. Charles Soule clearly loves doing this, like taking little things. And then this is taking the Vader's habit of force choking everyone and really diving down to why wouldn't he just force choke everyone that looks at him funny? It's it's for this reason. Right. It's because he's he's learning to deploy it at special moments. And we will see later on that um, he will get a lot more out of not choking a guy when he clearly wants to. But I did end up loving it. I love every time Vader and Palpatine talk in this series. Charles Soule fucking nails Palpatine every time. We get to see Coruscant police. Who are also just a bunch of inept dudes who don't want to be here. Yes, so rather like the, the actual police, they blunder into the situation without fully understanding or analyzing it. Uh, and then bad things happen. Specifically, the droid blows up the ship with, <laughs> did mean, you catch, did you catch what the explosion was? It's, uh, the, sh the ship? Yeah, what actually exploded? Oh, the engine? Specifically, what part of the engine? I don't it's know, the I'm not fuel. a mechanic. Okay, I'm like, the fuel. I'm not a It was Rhydonium. <laughs> That was uh, a Rhydonium explosion. Interesting. You may remember Rhydonium from some of the visual media, which we actually covered pretty recently. It's very fucking explosive. Right. So that was cool. We get our first look at Vader meditating what that looks like in the Force. Okay, that, we need to talk about that because I was We like, need to talk about that. The fuck is that? Vader, Vader, how he sees himself in the Force with his like... The part of his body that's body is like red and swirling and dark. And then the mechanical stuff is like this blue, but it's also like he's there's still a balance between light and dark in there. And there's also the like little butterfly. Pay attention to that. That'll come up again later. But it's like what he sees, what he's experiencing when he's meditating. The shit's crazy. Yeah, it's like psychedelic, weird depression. <laughs> it's like so weird. I like it. I do love it. Pay attention to it. It will come up again at another point later on in the the series. So that's cool. Vader gets interrupted and it's basically like, hey, FYI, uh, there was an incident. Jocasta New breaks in. I mentioned it before. I'm going to mention here. You, you can see the mask of Momen in this in like a like in one of the display cases. Bradley, you don't know what that means yet, okay. but you will. Also, the... Force-sensitive children, the list of Force-sensitive children, if that sounds familiar, this predates Fallen Order, but Fallen Order has the exact same MacGuffin, oh, a okay. list of Force-sensitive children, which I believe, what's his bucket in, you know, Cordova, you know Cordova? 
gets from Jocasta New. I believe that's where he gets the list of four sensitive children that he's hiding on Bagano. None of these words mean anything to Bradley. I don't. You're basically speaking another language, even though I know you're speaking Star Wars. It's uh, it's a different <laughs> dialect that I'm not used to. I know to. you're speaking Star Wars. It's like, so my boyfriend speaks uh, not fluent, but conversational French. And when he gets annoyed or he gets annoyed at me in particular, he will lapse into French because he knows it annoys me to not understand what he's saying. Except now we've gotten to a point where I can kind of sort of understand what he's saying, but I couldn't identify any of the words for you. I just can kind of pick it up. Uh, I think that's what it must be like when I start going off on a Star Wars thing that Bradley hasn't read or played. Shout out to the scene of Vader not choking the dude and also putting the Jedi Starfighter back together with the Force because he uh, recognizes it. Cool. I was like, you know what? I know they're never going to do this, but like if they ever end up doing some kind of Sherlock Holmes-esque Star Wars thing, I want to see a Force-sensitive Sherlock Holmes person be like, no, look, I can put the whole explosion back together so you can see what it actually looked like. <laughs> like, that's kinda, such a cool concept. They, they have some, like, technology and stuff that can clearly do that, but the idea that Vader looks at all this wreckage and is like, that is a Jedi Starfighter, and then reassembles it with the Force. Right. Like, putting it together. The level of knowledge he has to have of Jedi Starfighters is insane. I just want to shout out that scene because I fucking love that scene. End of this issue. So Jocasta New is trying to leave and she walks by the Grand Inquisitor several times. He does not notice her and she's like, get in, get out, get in, get out, get in, get out. Do not get pissed at this. Fuck it. At the end. Her fatal flaw is the Grand Inquisitor. We talked about how his perception of her is warped. Her fatal flaw is actually pride. It is a running, a running theme in the Jedi Order. Yes. At this point, because she cannot let this sacrilege to her books go. She cannot yeah. do it. And I don't I don't know if I uh, agree with that characterization of her too cuz it's like it's so annoying that like she's so gung ho about I got to get this list of kids. It's very important that I get this list. Like I, if it falls into the wrong hands, you know, kind of thing mentality. I have it. I I you know, I'm getting away with it. I'm almost out and then she just she just can't help herself and she just has to confront him. And I'm like, "Why? Why 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 would you do that?" <laughs> The thing about having a fatal flaw that's rooted in some sort of emotion, particularly if you've spent your whole life suppressing emotions and you don't really know how to let them wash over you, like it, say, for example, you've lost the correct ideal of attachment and not having attachments to things. But if you have a fatal flaw that's emotion based, you really only need one moment of fucking up. You really just need one moment where it becomes a little too much to bear. And then the next thing you know, you're jumping down on a table and whacking the Grand Inquisitor with a lightsaber. And that's the thing about her is, is she clearly knows she has to get out, but she just can't help it. And in a split second decision is like, nope, got to do something. And didn't, I, I want to say, didn't Palpatine even say it in the early, it's either in the early in this episode or episode in this issue or the one before where he was like, yeah, she'll do something to fuck up and like reveal herself because she just can't help herself. Yep. I'm pretty sure he says something along those lines, like, mm -hmm. which is again, something we've seen in media before where they're like, the Jedi can't fucking help themselves. They have to help people. They have to go out of their way to make themselves. Their known. compassion is a weakness. Right. And we will see the Inquisitors use this later on in other media. 
Their compassion is a weakness. We see it in the High Republic, the use of the Jedi's compassion against them, with the, the tortures of Loden Greatstorm and everything, all of that that happens. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting that she has this moment. And on first glance, it seems weird, but it really is indicative too of also her inability as a Jedi to be in this situation that's not something that that she was ever expected to be in that she doesn't have the training and she doesn't even her in her age and her mastery she doesn't have the necessary training or experiences to properly deal with this next issue there's some fighting lots of fighting happens vader yeah. the grand inquisitor almost kills jocasta uh but darth vader intervenes and darth vader and the grand inquisitor argue because the inquisitor is like wait why why should i not kill jedi and vader's like why should you not shut the fuck up and do what i tell you but it's too late. Jocasta New has run off and found a fucking Jedi laser rifle thing that she used to, to shoot at Vader. And that is broadly the plot of this issue. Yeah, this is a pretty quick one. The clone trooper that we see at the temple, the one who is later killed by Vader for a fucking up, that is Commander Fox. We have seen Commander Fox before in some of the visual media. Oh, I liked his uh, character design. I just thought that was like a fun, like kind of beta Captain Cardinal. So I thought it was like a nice looking. Yeah, you can see where you can see where it like it was drawing inspiration too from the Red Guards, and mm -hmm. it eventually, like you can tell where the Coruscant Guard would eventually become. Like you know what it also really reminded me of. Uh, the Sith Eternal Troopers, the Final Order Troopers. Yes, yeah, from Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because it's got the similar, like, uh, I guess their breathing apparatus thing on the bottom of the helmet or something. Like, I don't know. It's a similar shape or like a more visually similar the, to the First Order stuff than the um, the OG uh, Stormtroopers. So it's it's very interesting. Like him a lot. Uh, too bad he's not going to survive. So ding on the I really like this character. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I hope he survives this arc counter that I shamelessly borrowed from Darkseid Divas. Yeah, he's not making it out of this arc. What's really interesting to me, because I listened to our Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade episode, and then I read these issues to do my notes. And you can kind of see the bones of what's going to become Iscat Akaris' story in the Grand Inquisitor in this issue. Right. And the way that he talks to Jocasta, the way that he's like, it's a very tragic situation, kind of, but also like he's clearly like holding on to this anger and holding on to this hatred and it's poisoning him from the inside out. And you can kind of see this is gonna be a thing for Inquisitors. We're gonna see a lot of Inquisitors do this. Certain other Inquisitors we're also going to see do this. I, th I think this is a really interesting characterization for him. Do you know what else I think is really interesting? The difference between the Grand Inquisitor and Vader and how they approach situations. Because the Inquisitors are what we think of Sith to be like. They're just raw violence. That's their solution. Raw violence. Vader's much more mechanically cold in this issue. Like, he's much more methodical. 
He's much more, I don't want to say restrained, but he's much more deliberate in his in his actions. And the Grand Inquisitor is just like going ham. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was an interesting comparison between the two. Yeah, it's it, well, it's because, it, I mean, literally, Vader knows what the actual plan is, right? Like, because he knows all, he knows 100% of the plan versus the Inquisitor who only knows 15% of the plan because that's the way Palpatine designed this whole entire thing is to always pit everybody against each other and don't give everybody all the information and just see what god damn it palpatine yeah because he's kind of forcing vader into a situation where vader has to be the reasonable one has to go against his own people to step in and assert and if we remember all the way back to the beginning of issue seven when they had this whole conversation and vader's like you guys are pathetic you are stupid you are weak just do what i tell you at all time i don't give a fuck what anybody tells you just do what I tell you. And we're seeing that come to to blows here, literally come to blows here, where the Inquisitor's straining to kill this woman and Vader's like, no. And the conflict between them is what lets Jocasta New get her sick-ass lightsaber rifle. I well, don't, don't skip over the whole Vader going after the, the robot and the robot recognizing him. Yeah, the robot recognizes him as Anakin Skywalker. And Jocasta like, fuck right fuck she's fuck, like, uh, fuck, she's fuck, like, fuck she's like of fucking course it's this kid like <laughs> oh shit god damn it okay let me get the fuck out of here right and then she grabs the rifle and then she grabs the rifle and we're like yes. okay i need to talk about it for i mean we'll probably talk about it more in the next issue but we can kind of talk about we it can here. talk about it now we can talk about the lightsaber okay. rifle now what the actual fuck is this <laughs> like uh, i didn't clearly... quite get it at first because i didn't i didn't notice her lightsaber was actually inside of the rifle at first and until the next issue when we see it melted or whatever but like i didn't realize you have to insert your lightsaber into it and then it uses it like a fucking battery <laughs> <laughs> like lasers people i mean like what who the fuck invented this it's like well, that's so not we a don't good know, thing we don't know a lot about it it's only appeared three places here the mm-hmm. rise of kylo ren and in the light of the jedi high republic light of the jedi the only places that this has been mentioned and i don't even know what the mention was in light of the jedi I genuinely cannot remember it, and the Wikipedia page does not provide any additional details. Just that apparently it's in there, but there's a lightsaber rifle. Apparently the way it works is you insert the lightsaber in, and it can fire five shots off of that, and then it melts the lightsaber beyond use. So it clearly, it's a very Jedi rifle in two ways. Firstly, you have to give up your lightsaber in order to use it. Second is you only get a limited number of shots. So don't miss. So don't miss <laughs> and don't waste them. Don't be right. frivolous. Do not fire this unless it's absolutely necessary. Because I first saw this in the issue and I was like, that's so fucking dumb. Right, doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. And then I thought about it, I was like, no, it's it's very in line with the lightsaber. It's very, this is a weapon. Sometimes we have no choice but to use a weapon. We have to be smart and we have to use it as little as possible. And if we use it, there's going to be consequences. So it really is a very Jedi weapon in its implementation. Bravo to Charles Soule for making a gun that's Jedi. I love it. I didn't think that was possible, but here we are. 
Uh, the last thing, just I don't want to gloss over it too much, but she deletes all the Jedi archives. Yes. Yeah, that was not in my notes, but I forgot to write it down. Yeah, she deletes the whole archive. Which good for her. Which good for her. I mean, if she couldn't let go of the Inquisitor reading one fucking book and she had to confront him, at least she could delete the entire library of the Jedi knowledge in one well, sitting. She, what she did with that, the sacrifice that that had to be for her. Right. That she spent her entire life curating this knowledge and made the choice to delete it because she accepted that it needed to be out of the hands of the Sith and the Inquisitorious. They could not have access to this knowledge. And I think it speaks to her faith as well. Her faith in the future, her faith in the future of the Jedi. We find out there's another quote from another Charles Soule comic. It might have been that, that milestone issue that talks about that the Jedi have not always been this galaxy-spanning organization. It's mentioned that the Jedi have gone through cycles, and this was true even in Legends as well, where sometimes they've been huge, sometimes they've been just a handful of people. Sometimes they've been warriors fighting against dark side. Sometimes they've been teachers exclusively. It's morphed and it's changed. She makes a couple of points in here about how the forces is going to bring them back. The force is going to correct the balance. It's going to correct itself. Uh, that the dark side cannot be triumphant forever. And she has that faith. And because of that, she makes this sacrifice to make sure that people aren't hurt as a result of the knowledge that was in this archive. Preventing the Sith from using it. The Sith would have used it as a weapon. The Somebody like the Grand Inquisitor would have used it as a weapon. It was not knowledge for knowledge's sake. It was knowledge for utility. Vader tells the Grand Inquisitor, like when he goes in to read the books, Vader's like, go find what you need. Go find the information that you need. And that's what was going to happen. And so when she deletes this, it spares potentially billions of lives when she does this. So yes, we can absolutely not gloss over that. Issue number 10, Dying Light, part four. They fight. The clone troopers move around to try to intercept. But because Commander Fox didn't bother to tell them that Vader had a lightsaber, they assume that the guy with the lightsaber is a Jedi and start firing on him. Like, obviously, what did you think was going to happen? Uh, <laughs> Ducastanu is trying to escape. Vader's like, hey, Fox, what the fuck? Fox is like, oh, damn, I'm sorry, dude. And Vader's like, oh, damn, I'm sorry, too, and fucking kills him. <laughs> and Jocasta New uh, tries to escape but gets captured, and then she tries to jump off a building, and Vader, like, grabs her and pulls her back on. So then she's, like, on the ship with them, and she correctly identifies him as Anakin Skywalker, so he has to kill everybody on the ship. And he's like, you fucking knew that was going to happen. And she's like, okay, well, what are you going to do with me now? You have the list of Force-sensitive children, which also he got the list of Force-sensitive children when they searched her. And then he kills her. And Palpatine calls, FaceTimes him, uh, doesn't FaceTime him actually, just puts him on speakerphone because Palpatine can't be fucking bothered. And he's like, hey buddy, so you got her alive, right? And Vader's like, mm, nah, she died, it's unfortunate. And Palpatine's like, damn, well did you get anything from her? And Vader holds up the list of four sensitive children and is like, and crushes it. Meanwhile, back in Jocasta New's secret hideout, uh, Gar just hangs out for decades. Uh, grows old, and when he's too old to protect the holocrons, he blows up the entrance to the cave, uh, killing himself in the blast, and it remains undisturbed until Luke Skywalker shows up many years later. End of The Dying Light. 
Okay, so the clone friendly firing thing. <laughs> I I know they're not they're not dumb, but I guess if they have any knowledge of Jedi beforehand, which they do because they all worked with the Jedi, they've never seen a red lightsaber before other than no. Dooku or Asajj Ventress, right? Because that would theoretically, if they had well, even seen those two people. Here's here's the key too. None of the ones that are around here, and they specify, have actually seen Vader. Wow, yeah. So you don't know Vader on site. If Vader had turned up, even just with a lightsaber, they would have known to not shoot him. But because Vader's such an enigma at this point, Fox didn't tell them what he looks like. So they just know there's this guy that's shown up with a lightsaber. And Fox is like, shit, fuck, stop shooting him. <laughs> it's worth noting, again, there's, there's a little, uh, there's a little hand waving you have to do with this. I know that visual media has established that clones go into like a fugue state and that is going to come up again a little bit later here. Fox is able to like successfully tell them that he's not a Jedi, which is a little, a little eh in retrospect, but it still kind of works. Explain. So the, the way that certain visual media depicted the order 66 and like the shoot Jedi on site. Remember how we were talking about in issue two? Uh, issue two or three, how the clones are a little bit different in this. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You remember how in the visual media they were basically like robots after the chips activated? Right. I guess my headcanon is just that after Order 66 is over, they just kind of like, it stops working. And then they just kind of whatever. It's interesting because I think this is going to come up later that they see Jedi and start firing. I just think it's interesting that they're able to process cognitively to stop. Got it. Okay. Because in visual media, some people try the same, a similar tactic to say, technically this force user is not a Jedi. Doesn't matter. They have special orders to shoot that person. Right, because they don't so, they can't really tell the difference or they don't we're they being don't know vague yeah we're being vague because i'm trying desperately not to make direct references to the visual media but this is a thing we've seen yeah so i just think it's interesting the way the clones are written in this prior to the bad batch coming out uh it's interesting to me and there's a little bit of hand waving you have to do we'll see there's a scene that's coming up later on that's going to be um We'll see. We'll see when we get there. Because yeah. I have vague recollections of this scene. We're going to see how it's handled in this context. Uh, also, I, I love Jocasta getting all of the clones killed by being like, yeah, hi, Anakin Skywalker. And Vader's like, God damn it. He's like, you, yeah, like you said, he's like, you knew this was going to fucking happen. You knew this was going to fucking happen. But I wonder, did she, like, she did she genuinely know that was going to happen and she's doing this on purpose because the clones are traitors and she's kind of getting back at them? Or is she, like, just... She's just being truthful because she doesn't care. I think just more she doesn't care. I think she's trying to hit him where it hurts. Gotcha. And in killing all of the clones, he confirmed what she already knew. He confirmed that he was, in fact, Anakin Skywalker. I think that's interesting. I like that scene. And we also see Vader kills her. So this whole issue, this whole arc, Palpatine's been like, I need her alive. Get her to me alive. And Vader has just been doing everything Palpatine says. This is one of the first times Vader decides to go rogue and do his own thing. Because he kills her, which is a blow to Palpatine, and then destroys the list, which is a blow to Palpatine. And so in that moment, I think we are seeing one of the inherent flaws in the ideology of the Sith, which is it's inherently selfish and encourages selfishness. 
Vader doesn't care about this list of Force-sensitive children. They're not Jedi. They're not a threat to him. Palpatine wants it because he wants to corrupt them. He wants to make more Inquisitors. He wants to replace Vader. And Vader's like, oh, yeah, I see what's going on here. It would benefit the Sith as a whole for you to have this list. It benefits me personally for you to not have it. So I'm going to destroy it and kill Jocasta New. Yeah, because they've they've already established in canon that, like, if you just don't harness your abilities or whatever they just kind of fade away over time so in vader's thought process he's just thinking well if we never find these kids then they'll get too old and then they won't be a threat ever because they'd never harness their abilities so well, it's not I, even worth looking for them i think it's actually more i would say maybe it's more that palpatine can't replace vader with these kid any of these kids palpatine can't build his own little force sensitive army he can't build his own giant hundred inquisitor rank thing to replace vader there is no replacing vader and we we haven't read together uh the 2015 vader run this is very the 2015 vader run palpatine is constantly trying to replace vader he's constantly trying to screw him over and find somebody that's going to be better than him and we see here right from the beginning vader is not going to let that happen and that's part of the the way the sith operate is it's inherently selfish it encourages you to screw each other over and that ultimately is a weakness of it and i think it's interesting the choice vader makes at the end of this is extremely interesting to me and and sets up a lot of who he's going to be in his relationship to Palpatine, who he's going to be through a lot of the Vader 2015 run, through a lot of the rest of this run, particularly when we get to Fortress Vader and the absolutely batshit insane things that happen in Fortress Vader. It's it's a fascinating character choice for this character. Okay, let's talk about that ending. Yeah, I, I only have one qualm with that ending. My thing is, well, well I guess my biggest problem with the ending is that one... I I knew it was Luke, but I didn't know it was Luke. Like it was kind of one of those things where it's like weirdly it, drawn in this. Yeah, I His just face I, is I really it, weird. I think the art is a choice, and maybe it's just that's why I wasn't like a hundred percent sure it was Luke. Like I mean, obviously the hair is supposed to be the giveaway, but like I also and the yellow maybe. But I'm like the yellow jacket. He's wearing yeah, the yellow jacket. I'm like I don't really know if this counts. Like if this this literally could just be anything. Honestly, you could debate this anybody i don't know i also don't think it needed to be on here i think it would have served better later in the series or at the end to be honest yeah. and I, I don't remember what the last few panels of this entire run are i i get what the the ending is trying to do the ending is trying to reaffirm jacosta's faith it's trying to show us that her faith was well placed that one day the jedi would rise again right that somebody would rebuild the Jedi Order, that it would come back in some form. Ironically, Luke's not going to do that, actually, (laughs) successfully. Right. Sorry to this comic, because this came out in 2017. Yeah, Last Jedi hadn't even come out yet. So we knew that The Force Awakens had come out. We knew that was going to happen, but we didn't know what was going to happen in Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker when this came out. So I kind of get what they were trying to do. Uh, where they were trying to be like, oh, there's hope for the future. The Jedi will return. Luke Skywalker is this embodiment of the Return of the Jedi. Almost like they had a movie called The Return of the Jedi about Luke becoming a Jedi and bringing the Jedi back. Uh, but it, it lands weirdly now. 
I, yeah, I, I mean, I think it still works in it that because he, he started it's his little academy weird. or whatever. So I think it, it works in a sense because he clearly, if I mean, not knowing anything else that happens in this comic or just just taking it at face value. You yes, could, Bradley's reading as we go. I've read the entire thing. I mean, just face value. Like you can be like, oh, he found this little space where Jocasta hit all this knowledge. He takes it and uses it for his little school that he starts. That's about all I like I get from. yeah it works it's one of those things it works it works kind of in isolation and one of the things i really like about darth vader 2017 and why i pitched it for our comics episodes is that it it stands in isolation it's a nice moment putting it in the broader span of the history of the galaxy far far away it rings weird i think just because we didn't know what was going to happen in last jedi and rise of skywalker yet honestly i i have a spicy take i have a hot take I have a take that would be hot enough that I probably could not eat it and would have to order something else off the menu. You want to know my hot take, Bradley? Sure. You know who I think would have worked a lot better for this moment? Ray. Interesting. I think Ray would have worked a lot better for this moment. If they had put her in the end right here. If she had been in the end, which she couldn't, obviously that couldn't happen because the Rise of Skywalker was still Duel of the Fates and a completely different movie. Right. But looking back on it in hindsight, that would have landed a little, a lot harder for me. And it's weird to say that Ray would have, have landed harder than Luke in this moment, but... I think it she kind of would have. That's my hot take on the end that, of this that issue. Was, that was pretty spicy. And that was that was a spicy thing to chew on for the end. And now everyone who made it this far is going to get mad at me on Twitter. Right. But before we get to where you can get mad at me on Twitter, <laughs> Bradley, final thoughts on the dying light. Final thoughts. Um, I love the the light that died. I thought that you know Jacasta News dying light didn't really die, but it was kind of like a nice. I don't know. I, I obviously we don't have any other really media of her other than just the little bit that she's in the movies so it's nice that it's I don't know nice to give her like something to do and I liked what she did I thought it was a really nice character moment I didn't love her choice of being like I love books and I'm gonna risk my whole entire life and future and everything on a book but other than that I mean it makes sense for her character I just didn't like it but other than that I love the uh, love the Grand Inquisitor I love that that whole aspect of him and her rivalry of like his one-sided rivalry with her that she doesn't even remember who he is like she's like dude I have like literally billions of kids have come to my library like you think I'm gonna remember one fucking kid like I just I loved it but uh, overall I thought it was actually a I thought it was better than the first arc so far I agree with that wholeheartedly I think all of these arcs are bangers if if I'm remembering correctly at least I don't really remember what happens in the rule of five we're gonna have to get there when we get there very shortly but I do remember all of them being bangers like I loved reading this comic my final thought on the issue is that it's really good it's it's just really good uh, I have said everything I need to say I love how Jocasta is emblematic of the fatal pride of the Jedi uh, while at the same time embodying sort of the dying hope of of rebuilding the Jedi Order as it once was while also setting in motion in a small way uh, the birth of, of a new direction for the Jedi I think is a really interesting thing to do with her character. She's been so underused in all of media so I'm delighted to see her. I love that the backstory is not spelled out. The exposition fairy does not show up to tell us the Grand Inquisitor's backstory. We get it piecemeal through him as somebody we can't really trust to give us an unbiased 
best account. So I love that. Love the relationship between Palpatine and Vader. Love Vader. Love that Vader actually went on a character journey in this one. Love how he went from torturing the Inquisitors to getting his lesson from Palpatine to putting the lesson into practice in the, the hangar bay and then being challenged with the lesson by the Grand Inquisitor and then finally making his own choice to kill Jocasta and destroy the list of Force-sensitive children, completing a narrative arc for him over the course of the issues. The first arc, I didn't feel like he had that much of a character journey. This one, I felt like he, he went through a lot. Vader felt different to me at the end of this than he did at the beginning, and I absolutely adore that. So, next week on Gold Squadron Gaze, if things go according to plan, which they might, Bradley will not be here again. I will be doing something else for our spooky Halloween spectacular. It is not I was going to make a joke there, but it would have referenced a piece of struck media. I'm not going to do that whenever <laughs> I can avoid doing it. So we're going to have a spooky Halloween thing that I'm trying to put together. Then after that, we will be back, regardless of what happens with the SAG after strike. We will be back to do more Darth Vader. We are going to finish this comic series. So next up. After next week, we will be covering only two issues, Bradley. Oh, only two. Love that. Two of them. We will be covering The Rule of Five Part 1 and The Rule of Five Part 2, issues 11 and 12. Friendly reminder, you can find all of these on Marvel Unlimited. $9.99 a month gets you access to eight years of Star Wars comics. So if you want to follow along with us, that is where you can read them. Bradley, why don't you run our socials so we can all go to bed? Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. And so when Palpatine was like being a messy gay queen and was like, now, honey, here's another margarita. Tell me all about right. how mean your manager is. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how Palpatine did it.